Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, whether for fun or profit. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the GeoMob Podcast. I am excited about today's episode because we have a member of a very, very elite club. My guest today is Tim Fernando, who is a two-time GeoMob Best Speaker winner, both times speaking in London. Um, the first time he won was all the way back in September 2017, and then more recently in June 2022. His first talk was about uh, his travel journaling startup or travel uh, recording startup called Explorio, and we're going to dive deep into Explorio today. Um, uh, but also, actually, with a bit of a twist, uh, because he's he's seeking someone new to kind of uh, uh, operate the the business, run the business. So. Um, so we're going to get all into that. Tim, welcome welcome to the GeoMob show. You are a GeoMob regular at the events, so it's great to have you on the show. Introduce yourself, please. Thanks, Ed. Good to be here. Um, yep, my name's Tim Fernando. I am currently uh, head of product for Europe's largest carbon farming platform, Agrina. And prior to this, um, I was... The founder of or co-founder of Explorio, a travel journaling startup that you just described, and um, been going to GeoMob since probably like 2012, something like that. Um, so it's it's been a long time. Back in the day when the Earth was still flat and we we didn't know what laid beyond the uh, the horizons and things. Um, <laughs> so Tim. For those that don't know it, for those who missed your talk a couple of years ago, what, what exactly is Explorio? And take us through the, the history of the business and, and the current situation. Yeah, so Explorio started as a uh, something to fulfill a need I personally had, and I knew other people who loved to travel had, which is the automatic cataloging of where you go and what you do, um, but doing it in a private and secure way. And so that's where the idea came from. I was traveling a lot, and I wanted to be able to remember the places, the restaurants, the uh, the hotels, or the, the various vistas that I'd seen, and be able to go back and know exactly where those were. And this was long before there was much in the way of geospatial uh, tagging on photographs. It was very, very early days um, for all that, and. Explorio was trying to create a way for you to harness all of that and have all of that data for yourself. And there were a few other startups around the time we started who also tried to uh, do some of this. Um, But we really tried to take a travel focus to it. And as time went on, we realized actually that the sort of the units of travel that people like to remember are trips and everything that encapsulates a trip. Where did you start? What did you do? It's it's very much about the the journey uh, all the way to the end, rather than just the points uh, along the way. And so we started by aggregating all the social data you already had. So we connected up to uh, Twitter or what was what used to be called Twitter and Facebook and TripIt and Flickr and Instagram and every social network under the sun. And the idea was that you, you're already putting this data out there. Why not bring it into one place and make it searchable and viewable by yourself? And as time went on, it became clear that actually we needed a sort of another layer, and that's when our app came into play. 
so we developed this ultra low battery um, tracking algorithm, which um, I actually wrote one day whilst, well, we, we, we had many iterations of it, but actually it was back in the day when it was extremely difficult to test things like tracking algorithms. So what, what it transpired is you needed to be constantly moving to be able to tell, um, to be able to test stuff with the iOS simulator. And... Um, or rather to be able to test uh, location tracking in Xcode. And so I ended up getting on a plane. I flew to... I mean, this was an excuse for a trip, to be fair. But I flew out to Turin and uh, got the longest train at the time uh, from Turin to Rome. And I sat in a seat and basically wrote the tracking algorithm while being on the train uh, because I could get live tracking data from the GPS on the, on the phone. And this, I think, is still one of the lowest battery usage tracking algorithms uh, out there. And what it basically does is it intelligently turns on and off the GPS. It detects when you've stopped moving. It names the places where you stop and spend any significant amount of time. So this means that as you're traveling around, you're not touching your phone. You're constantly, you're, you're enjoying your travel all the while knowing that your uh, Explorio is uh, recording the restaurant that you've just been to. It knows that you went to that particular place or that train station or uh, that hotel hotel or that museum or whatever it is so it's it's pulling all that together and so that's uh that's really quite key man because i can remember you know back in the day i used to use foursquare and stuff like that and it just got so tedious everywhere you go you got to pull out your phone and then check in and obviously you know if with your, you're, you're with your family or something it's kind of asocial to always be fiddling about on your phone and so basically you just end up not doing it at some point and then it doesn't then you don't have the record, right? So exactly, it was you know it was either a case of me constantly pulling out my phone and really pissing off my fiance, or um, or actually uh, just letting it go. And that, that's what I uh, that's what story was really built for to be able to record all this stuff without really having to think about it. But also. Um, you know, arguably to the business's detriment, um, keeping it private and not selling that data on. And that was kind of a key principle of what we started with and what we wanted to keep. I remember though, you also did have a functionality that, or I assume you still have this functionality, right? That I could kind of publish a web page that kind of showed my journey if I wanted to show off, you know, here was my trip on the Trans-Siberian Railway or whatever, here was my trip, and then, you know, we could easily kind of pull in the photos and things or whatever. Exactly. Really quite nice. Yeah, it was a, the trip view, and you basically set any two dates in the the past, the present, the future, and Explorer would automatically grab all of the data between those dates and display that, and you could choose whether to automatically show stuff or select what you wanted to show and what kind of level of detail you wanted to go into, and you could annotate, and people could comment and like on that stuff as well. Um, and on top of that, there was also a profile view, which was, again, either private or public, and that would show like a, bir uh, 
a planet's eye view? What's the word for a, the macro of a bird's eye view? <laughs> like, a, oh, right, yeah, where you see the whole all of Europe or whatever. Right? The, the whole you. the whole planet, yeah, and that kind of shows everywhere you've traveled in the whole world, and little flag badges for every country you've been to, and distance, and, and so on, and. Um, so we had a lot of uh, plans for for all this and where it could go, and things were going fairly, uh, you know, it was a kind of a slow growth, but it was getting there. And, uh, and of course, then COVID hit, uh, which turned into a bit of a problem. So, so what happened? And, and, and what, what question, how, how is the business making money in any way? Were there some sort of premium services or, or there was some sort of... Yeah, it's it's a freemium model, and so we allow a certain number of photographs and a certain amount of time back on your diary view um, for free, and then there's a fifty dollar a year uh, service which takes off the limits on all of that. Gotcha. And how, can you share any numbers? How many people were using it, and how many? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like in the, so we're now in the kind of post-COVID world and the demand's starting to creep back up, which is also why I'm kind of here and thinking we should do something with it to, uh, to kick it back into speed. But it's in the kind of tens of thousands with proper data um, on the system. So not dummy users, but actual real users. Wow, okay. And who, who were these people? I mean, it's, it's mainly like, just travel fans or is there specific segments of people or how who who are the yeah that's a really good question it's sort of transpired um people who are doing very long trips are the main users so people who go on a gap year or people who have rvs uh who are sort of traveling across europe or america or interrailing or cruises uh people who are going to multiple destinations that are on a single trip is the probably the biggest users and I think it also appeals to certain demographics more than others. So, for example, we have quite a large contingent of the sort of the older generations on there. Um, and I think that's partly because the, the privacy aspect and just sort of feeling comfortable that they can share it with three people if they want to, rather than having to share it with the world and you know uh, not having to think about news feeds and so on. So we have this kind of interesting mix, um, and so I'd say there's probably, you know, if you look at a total demographic, uh, top to bottom, on to, in terms of age, we've got like the eighteen to twenty five. So that's a big hit. Then we got the the family, early families, sort of 30, 30 to thirty five, that kind of area, and then we've got older, sort of fifty five plus. Uh, so I'd say. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mix, and I think any any one of those segments could be exploited quite a bit more than what we're doing. And 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 did you do any active marketing, or how has this user base come about? It's just kind of word of mouth, or people see the product when their friends use it, or yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, the last since COVID, there's been zero marketing whatsoever. Um, and so the growth is completely organic. So it's people finding it. There's still surprisingly little competition in this space for this kind of app. 
Um, and there's nothing that's come about that's new that's really tried to exploit it. The, I mean, our original plan here was to take this to help people choose where they want to go next and use some of their existing preferences and use some of the data, uh, sort of anonymized data that we're collecting to help suggest stuff. So, for example, if you, you know, go off to New York and you go to the Guggenheim and then you go to um, uh, the Tate Modern in London, um, it's, it's going to suggest some modern art museums that you might want to go to in other places and it can help to build an itinerary so for example there are different classes of well, different segments of how people like to travel uh, one is the completionist who is more my kind of style where I like to go somewhere new all the time and see something new and um, and, and that's kind of what excites me then there's the the folks who just want a beach and good food and uh, whatever and they don't really care too much about the actual destination they just care about the pricing and the convenience then you got the family types who need stuff that's very family friendly and then you've also got people visiting friends and family and so when you consider those those uh, kind of things it's actually quite easy to use a little bit of data to help to seed ideas for itineraries um, going forward so that was our kind of original concept was to sell the itineraries take commission on the back of itineraries using all of this fairly deep knowledge we have about the user so the ethos was don't sell this on to other people um, but use it to help our users to make better decisions and to make easier decisions uh, going forward so that was another angle and I think actually today that is probably much easier to do than it was when we first started with the likes of ChatGPT and you know LLMsters there's a a lot of um, stuff that can be automated in part of that process and a lot of data that can be pulled together quite quickly from other sources because of tools like that. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there and, and what's kind of crazy is that it's, it's what's 2023 and fundamentally travel booking hasn't really changed in 20 years it's still very much a case of you put in your from box and your to box and your from date and your to date and everything's still the same and it, it's i feel like it's desperate for um for a bit of change and and so what's the current status you are you actively working on Esploria or not not really i mean you you with covid you and the other team members you had kind of put it on the back burner as well yeah we we all put it on the back burner um i've kind of been keeping it ticking along taking care of the admin we've had a few contract developers working on stuff to keep stuff running um we've got a new app release hopefully approved by apple shortly uh, just to bring things up to date and um otherwise the systems are all running it's kind of ticking along and the code base has been pretty stable it's 
fair, there's quite a lot of stuff going on in the background. You know, we've got our own custom reverse geocoders. We've got MapReduce. We've got a lot of uh, technical architecture to make some of the views work. Uh, but broadly, it's been ticking along quite nicely. Okay, but you're, now you're looking to bring someone in who can give it more focus. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's sort of come to this point where I've been working on it for quite a long time. I have a fairly deep understanding of it. It's I see a lot of potential in it. Some of the uh, investors in it still see a lot of potential in it. Um, and we kind of want to just give it a bit more of a try. And we think that somebody with the right drive and the right background and the right knowledge and how to target these markets and these segments could really push these user numbers up and drive um, some of the revenue there and help it to grow and to get new features and turn into what it could be. And so what kind of skill set do you think this person would need? I think somebody who has a deep understanding of how to target niches in travel, ideally, um, be able to run um, some kind of marketing campaign, whether it's through content, whether it's through um, uh, through forums and growth hacking. Uh, I think that's kind of or somebody who knows how to use third parties to get that stuff done in an efficient manner. So, you know, when, when you think about content marketing these days, it's arguably a lot easier than it was eight months ago uh, before ChatGPT uh, turned, around, turned up. And it's much faster to write content today than it was before. And so... Yeah, yeah but you know, Tim, I'm kind of divided on that because, I mean, so yes, it's easier to produce all this content. That doesn't mean anyone actually wants to read the content or to... You know, if we all start spamming the search engines with the chat GPT content, you know, have, have, have we really helped anyone there or have we, are we just all just creating a lot of noise? Well, I'd say 90% of creating the content is not actually coming up with the content. I'd say 90% is actually just writing good English. And that's kind of the hardest part of uh, content generation, I, th I feel. So, you know, for example, I went on an uh, interrail trip a while back and I came up, there were so many little nuggets of information of, okay, you need to use this booking site to be able to book this uh, reservation. You need to do this. These are the easy connections. This is where you can go, etc. Like, I could write... <laughs> a bullet list of 10, 15 items very, very quickly. Now, if I had to sit down and write an article on... Mm, yeah, that, that's, that work, makes that's really hard. And so that's the kind of difference, I think. There's a, there's a lot of knowledge that's out there that isn't being shared because it's difficult for people to consume easily or are difficult for people to write so that other people can consume easily. Of course, we'll probably get to the stage where, you know, you write, you get ChatGPT to write a, an article and then somebody else on the other side is using ChatGPT to <laughs> turn it back into bullet points. Well, that's just it. But also, I mean, you know, these types of things you talk about, about like, oh, you, you know, use this site or whatever, this, this train only runs on these days of the week or whatever. You know, it needs to be factual, right? And uh, my own experience is chat, chat GPT is not always strictly factual. 
So I think it's it's less for content generation. I would say it's less about actually pulling facts out and more about just crafting the language. Because the quality of language that it comes out with is pretty decent. Um, okay, it might not have a soul, it may not have a style, but then I'd say that 99% of content out there doesn't anyway. Um, so it's, you know, you can do stuff to very quickly create something that is interesting and compelling and useful um, with small amounts of information. And that that's you know, largely how I've been using it the last few months as well. I I, I wrote a little app. Um, I'd never used Swift UI before, uh, framework for iOS. And um, and I, I don't code very often at all, but I was still, with the help of ChatGPT, I was able to build it, compile it, get it into uh, Apple Store um, with... It, you know, probably about two days worth of work, and that was a fully functioning app. So it's it's kind of taking little bits of what you know and then using it to fill in uh, the bits that you are a bit harder to do, I think, or time consuming. That kind of raises a good question, Tim. What what kind of technical background should this person have? I mean, do they need to be able to get their hands dirty in the code, or or it's more about marketing and and vision and, and positioning and this type of thing? That's a good question. I think it depends what they're bringing to the table. So if, for example, they wanted to help drive stuff and really want to push things forward or, you know, say considered wanting to acquire it, then there's a probably a different profile to somebody who may want to just help with driving the growth. So I'd say, and just for background, the stack is uh, Python, Django, on the, and a little bit of Flask. I think we got rid of the Erlang. And then the iOS app is in Swift. And then the front end, which at the time was a great decision, these days looks less of a good decision, um, uh, is written in Ember.js. And um, so th that's the tech stack. And I'd say I've been able to run it with contract developers with not very much hands-on coding for the last three years. Um, so I don't think it's necessary that they need engineering background. Being able to talk to engineers would be a plus. Um, and I'm happy to help in uh, where I can as well. So it, it's not a completely solo thing. And, and ideally this would be kind of a full-time role for someone or, or a part-time or like what's your ideal sort of? Well, I guess we're, if there's somebody who wants to come in and take it on as project and wants to invest their own time and money, then there's certainly potential for a full-time roles to sort of make it work if it's somebody who wants to kind of help with the growth and then you know come up with some kind of sharing agreement or something like that then it could be a few hours a week uh, just to kind of push growth along ultimately we have a working funnel and the conversion rates are not terrible so um it's more about getting stuff into the top of the funnel or getting people into the top of the funnel that's really missing right now.
Okay. But what what's the best way for someone if, if this has piqued someone's interest? They should just take up contact with you, or or download the app and try it out first, or you know what's the process? I could uh, a whole uh, drop me an email. Tim at Exploria dot com is uh, probably the best way to get hold of me. And um, but do give it a try online. You'll see some things. Uh, you know, see the website. <laughs> Um, the app on the Apple App Store. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I certainly hope that someone out there listening, uh, you know, has their curiosity piqued by this and, and uh, wants to dive in because it is a cool service. And, uh, you know, it is interesting, as you mentioned, tra- travel does feel like it hasn't changed. I mean, obviously, there are many different types of travel and, and it, it's something done by all segments of the population. So, you know, there can be different solutions for different people, but it hasn't changed. It's very static, and and no one has really done this. You know, at this point about sharing your journey after you make the trip, you know, it's not easy. There are no good, simple tools to do that. And then, particularly when when we see the transience of some of the the social media, you know. You know, who knows how long Twitter, you know, your, your old Twitter threads are still going to be around or whatever. And, you know, so then you think to yourself, well, maybe I should put it on my own website or something. But then that's a lot of work. And then, you know, th- there is no good solution for sharing pictures. And, you know, you don't necessarily want to share everything with the whole world if it's like a trip with your kids and stuff, you know. But you do want to have a way to share with your relatives. So no one has solved this. Yeah, it's especially not in a cross-platform way, right? Like, um, you know, Apple and Google, they kind of have the mechanisms, but if you want to do it across platform, it's it's messy. And you're not really... None of the metadata is being used. None of the travel aspects is really being um, taken in. So, you know, the number of times I've shared some a trip with somebody and then they've said, oh, that restaurant, I went there on my trip or... It was great, and that's because that metadata is just sitting there. It's it's going, yeah, this is the name of the restaurant, and you click on that, and you can probably even book a table with a whole bunch of them because you know they're connected through to Open Table or whatever. So there's a huge like uh, I was talking about this with load of the old team recently, and we were also saying there's still so much potential um, in in this and where it could go and. Um, so it'd be a real, it'd be great for somebody to take the reins and really drive it forward. And I'm sure I and uh, members of the old team would be happy to kind of help um, push it along as well. Well, yeah, I definitely encourage anyone interested to get in touch. Um, and with one caveat, one one requirement is that uh, you know a year later, then once the business is. Is, is skyrocketing they need to come to a GMOB event and present about it and tell us how they how they reignited it absolutely so, um, and they got to win the best Pika prize right <laughs> no promises there no promises there Tim. actually the, I, the, we do have one question that we often ask people um, you know who are regulars and have been coming for a long time any any favorite uh, GMOB memories or any uh, any talks that stand out for you over the years well, I went to the one recently in London, um, and uh, it was Skylar uh, with the ambulance 
Church service, and that was that was fascinating. That was a really uh, very amusing, uh, well delivered talk, and um, some of the specifics around the you know the the classifications of emergencies and the time it takes and how they deal with these in different ways is just very fascinating and so. It's so impactful, you know. It's literally life and death stuff. So it, it's it's wonderful to kind of hear about, you know, geospatial stuff being used in that context. Very cool. It's annoying. I, I, I unfortunately wasn't able to make it to London, and I missed that talk. And I've, several people have told me it was, you know, one of the one of the best talks we've ever had. So yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you know, people always are like, oh, when are you going to make videos of the talk? And I'm always like, oh, that's so much work. And, you know, and now here I am, caught out by it. So, unable to enjoy the good talks. So, um, All right, Tim, any closing, closing thoughts? Any, um, any, any final messages you want to get out about Esplorio or about, about anything else? Well, I mean, Ed, please keep geomob running uh, with, with your folks as much as possible it's been great to be part of that community for so long um, well we'll keep it going man. we'll keep it going absolutely and and keep it growing rather is what I should have said um, but uh, in terms of Esplorio uh, we're looking for you know I've, I've cast a very wide net in what I was saying earlier into the types of people we're looking for it's we're very open to different approaches and different ways of looking at it and different skill sets so if if this excites you if this is something that kind of makes you tick to look at a project that exists that's been fairly well built and that's ticking along and you think you can make a big difference there then I'd love to hear from you regardless of profile fantastic thanks very much tim all right thanks a lot Thanks for joining us today and listening to the GeoMob podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics we should cover. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly mailing list where we keep you informed about upcoming events. You can, of course, also follow us on Twitter where our handle is GeoMob. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at a GeoMob event soon.